All right, chapter 18. I better pray first before we get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for letting us all get together here and, and open your Bible and read it and study it and grow and learn and just have a nice peaceful time with you this morning. And we pray that you'd give us everything that we need, help us to have ears to hear and hearts that are open and receptive, and that we want to be changed, encouraged, rebuked. We'll take whatever you've got for us, but we just want whatever you have because we know it's from love. In Jesus' name, amen. The new king here is Jehoshaphat. As you remember, Second Chronicles follows the lower two kingdoms in Israel, um, of the lower two tribes. And he is the new king in that, in that area. Now, the thing about him is that he's a back-to-the-Bible kind of guy. He started a reform in the nation of Israel, uh, cut down the wooden images, and uh, has restored the worship of Jehovah, the true and living God, where it's supposed to be. Now, he wasn't perfect by any means, and I think I, I'm very encouraged by this chapter because of that. But he was a man after God's heart and really wanted that for his nation. He had it personally, but he also wanted it for the people to enjoy. Now, with that being said, last week was a wonderful time where he sent off five guys to go throughout the region to teach the Bible so that everybody knows the Word of God, not just him, not just a select few or those who are in Jerusalem, but everybody, the farmer, everybody, you know, the, the, the shepherd, everybody could know. Um, and so he sent off these five guys to teach throughout all the area. And, uh, and so he really loves the word of God and wants people to know it. And he knew that that would be strengthening to them. Now, that being said, he makes a mistake uh, today. And as weird as it sounds, that's encouraging also, because as much as I want to be the man of God, he wants me to be, um, I love him. I want, I want him to be pleased with me. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I think we all do. And not just because I accepted Christ, but because I kind of live my life in a way that was pleasing to him, you know? And, uh, and that's not wrong. I, I'm not looking for points. I'm not looking to be better than anybody else. But as someone who loves God, I love my father in heaven. I want him to, I don't know, I just want, I want to do the right thing, you know? But I don't do that all the time, you know? Um, and, and neither does Jehoshaphat here. He's got a lot on his shoulders. I know that the governments are upon Jesus' shoulders. I understand that. It's God's. And yet he's the one on the throne. He's the one who's got to sit there and tell everybody, you got to cut down those wooden images. Not a popular thing to say. We need to get back to the Bible. It's not a popular thing to say. Nothing he does is exactly popular. Reformation isn't popular. You've probably got a few. You've got that group that have always hoped for that. But then for the most part, everybody else is like, no, man, I don't get to do what I want to do anymore. So he's in the middle of all this, and he's doing this reform. Verse 1, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor, and that's because of his walk with the Lord. It says so in the previous chapter. Riches and honor and abundance. And by marriage, he called, he allied himself or made allegiance with Ahab. What? If you don't know, Ahab is the worst king in the Bible. His wife is Jezebel. That's why you don't hear a lot of little girls called Jezebel. Hey, Jezzy, because she's a disaster, satanic worshiping, crazy woman in the Bible. And so we don't call her. Now, if you have a cousin named Jezebel, well, now you have some ammunition against her. You can give her a hard time, but he's the worst king. Just prior to this chapter, Elijah the prophet, we kind of know Elijah the prophet, is up on top of the hill, Mount Carmel, 
the only prophet of God left in that area. And he calls out all the other 400 prophets of Baal. Those are Jezebel's prophets and has the big showdown, the big high noon moment up on top of this mountain says, let's just see who's God Baal or Jehovah. So I'm going to make these two altars, one over there, one over here, mine. I'm going to douse with water and put the sacrifice on it. Yours is over there. You can you know, put water on it if you don't want to. This is a paraphrase. Um, and, and you guys go ahead and get your God to call down fire and consume that, and I'll get my God to call down, and we'll just see. And these guys are hooting and hollering, jumping up and down, the prophets of Baal, and they're cutting themselves, and they're trying to get his attention, and Elijah's, you know, heckling them from over here. Maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he can't hear you, you know, kind of thing. It's just a crazy story. Well, nothing happens, and then Elijah over here in a still small voice just prays to God and says, God, you know, show him his boss, basically. And the whole thing goes up in flames, you know. And then all 400 of these guys get put to death, okay? So that's just happened. So Ahab and Jezebel, not the in-laws that you want, okay? This guy has given his son to Ahab's daughter, and now they're married, and now they're the in-laws, you know? Not good. It's a mistake, I like to think sometimes maybe he had different thoughts in his head. Maybe this is a unifying moment. Maybe we can get the whole nation back together. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe this reformation that's taking place in the Southern is going to move North. Maybe there's some ministry. He thinks, I don't know. I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt because I hope I get the benefit of the doubt. That's really not how it reads. It reads like it reads. He aligned himself through marriage with Ahab. The Bible warns us about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It's, it's used a lot in marriage and sort of applies here in marriage, but this applies in any area of our lives. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Or what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? And that's marriage is an easy target there. If you're a believer, you don't marry an unbeliever in hopes that they get saved someday. They may, and you may have that one instance. But for the most part, those things don't ever work out. In fact, they oftentimes work out the other way. You get drug away from the Lord as opposed to you bringing them closer to the Lord like you'd hoped. And anytime you have God's word that states something like that, it's a very dangerous place for us to be when we think that we're going to be the exception to the rule. I know God's word says I'm not supposed to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, but, but what? But you're going to beat the odds, but you're the exception, but you're better than or whatever. We have to be careful about that. There are moments when those things work out, but they usually don't. And God puts these in his word for a reason. Jehoshaphat has no business being in allegiance with Ahab. Ahab is not a believer, doesn't want to be a believer. He doesn't want to worship the true and living God. But here he finds himself in allegiance with them. Now, after some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? Now, that's a fair, fair question. Ramoth-Gilead is a city in Israel. It's been taken over by the Syrians, and all Ahab wants to do is let's go up there and take this city back. 
know, now Ahab wants it for his own gain. Maybe Jehoshaphat thinks, yeah, let's go up there and do this for the Lord, which I think is correct. And so he responds with, I am as you are, and my people is your people. We will be with you in the war. Of course we'll go. Now, his next sentence is, let's pray about it. I think that's probably a really important part of the teaching this morning is you need to reverse those two sentences. The praying about it needs to come first. The agreeing to go needs to come second. But that's not how it went down. He got excited. I, you know, and I, can, I understand that. I think all of us have some people in our lives that if something bad happened to them, you'd be with them, even if it was their fault. You'd come alongside of them. You just do. There are some people that I know that even if they had instigated it, <laughs> I'd come alongside and help fight. You just would, you know, because they're blood, because they're family, because, I don't know, they're friends. And so part of that's happening right now. Should we go up and get, well, what could possibly be wrong with going to get a town that already belonged to the Lord has been taken by these terrible Syrians. I mean, Ahab, you're not that great, but you're certainly better than the Syrians. Now, it doesn't say any of that, but I'm trying to help him out here. I'm trying to think like he would think. I can see it. His next sentence here, verse 4, also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Let's pray about it. Now, he doesn't mean it like we mean it some days. When someone asks you to do something, you say, I'm going to pray about that. And what you mean is, I want to think about that. And the answer is no. I just don't know how to tell you face to face. We've got to be careful about using God and throwing him under the bus in situations like that. God told me no. Did you ask? Did you really ask? Did you really seek the Lord, you know? Yep. Prayed, and God said, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> That's not what Jehoshaphat means. He really wants to know if God's going to be with them or not. And maybe this is his first step in witnessing to Ahab. Hey, Ahab, maybe we should pray together about this. Let's go to the Lord together. And he makes sure he uses the right word. Not the ones, uh, not the Lord that just, you know, the Baal that, that lost all 400 of his minions, you know, with Elijah up there. But no, the real Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital E, the Tetragrammaton, the name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the true and living God. Let's ask him. And then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men. Not the same 400. Those guys are dead. This is another 400 guys. But they're not with the Lord. Okay. These are the guys that worship the calf god. They had a lot of gods up north. Okay. These are the calf god guys. They didn't die on Mount Carmel. You know. These are different ones. So they gathered these 400 men and said to them, Shall we go to war against Ramath Gilead or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. And Jehoshaphat, you got to see him kind of looking around like, That's... well, here's what he says. Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So I'm pretty sure the calf God didn't really speak, and it's just coming from your own hearts and your own minds. You know, no, I don't want to know from the calf God. I, I want to know from the true and living God, the one we're supposed to be all be worshiping. Remember, is there not a prophet left like that? You know? So the king of Israel, that's Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, I love this, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. 
because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. His name is Micaiah, the son of uh, Imla. Yeah, there's a guy, you know. He's a Debbie Downer, though. Everything I say is wrong. Everything I do is wrong. Well, Ahab, you know, maybe something's wrong. Eh, I don't like to ask him questions. He always tells me no. <laughs> I stopped praying about that stuff a long time ago. And now the guy responds, Jehoshaphat says, let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, bring Micaiah, the son of uh, Imla, quickly. Now, where he's coming from, we don't find out until later on, but I'm going to let you know he's bringing him from prison. This prophet said one too many things wrong to this Ahab, and he is in prison. And he's saying, hey, go, go bring that prophet. You mean the one that's in chains? Yeah, 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 yeah. The one that's in chains, you know. The prisoner. And bring him to us quickly because later on he's going to say, send him back to where he came from, which is prison. That's how we know. Go get him. Let's ask this guy. Now, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne, and they sat at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. So there's 400 guys still saying, it's going to be great, you know. And they're all kicking up dust and trying to be more flamboyant and dramatic than the next guy. Look at me, look at me, you're going to be great. It's going to be, you know, trying to, trying to reach top dog as far as the false prophets go. So as they're doing this, it says in verse 10, Now Zedekiah, the son of Shannon, whatever, had made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. So he's going all out, you know. It's going to be like this, boss, you know, and he's got his horns. You're going to gouge them. And, and all the other prophets are going, oh, yeah, you know, and they're trying to kick up dust. In the, just a, a, it's a circus. It's really going to be bad. Now, remember Zedekiah, he'll come in later on. He's going to smack the real prophet later on. Because he's trying to be top dog. He wants to be the most dramatic, the most flamboyant, the one that they listen to the most. I want to be in charge. So he's trying to do this. With these, you're going to gore the Syrians until they're destroyed. And then all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Then the messenger, that's the guy that went and got the real prophet, who had gone to call Micaiah, spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Therefore, please let your words be like the words of one of them and speak encouragement. Would you just say something nice this time, you know? Or you better? Now, I don't know how long he's been in prison, but as a prophet of God who's tired of eating roaches or whatever that's happening in prison, you might even listen to that advice. I don't care what happens to Ahab. I don't care if he knows the truth. All I know is I don't want to go back there again. So what if I lie to him and say the wrong thing to him? At least I'll be out of prison. I can, I can sense that. I could feel that. I could, I could see myself at least entertaining that thought. He doesn't. He's a good prophet. He's not like me at all. Just say something nice. Just something positive, encouraging. I worry about that phrase sometimes. If you don't live in positive, encouraging times, what good is a positive, encouraging message? The positive, encouraging message is God wins, but it's going to be rough for a while, you know? I want the truth. You can't have love 
without the truth. You can't lie to somebody and say you love them. We live in a world where acceptance is synonymous with love, and that's not true. God accepts us where we are, but he loves us enough to not leave us there. See, we come to church because we want to be better. We want him to heal us. We want him to make us and conform us into the image of his son, Jesus. We never come to Christ as we are and stay as we are. James warns about that. If you're not changing, if you're not walking with the Lord, if you're not becoming more like Christ, you've got dead faith. It's not functioning anymore. It's not active in your life. It needs to be happening. And so this guy's saying, would you just say something nice, something positive, encouraging? Micaiah's answer is correct. As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. Maybe it is encouraging today. I don't know, but I don't say these things from my own heart, which is the difference between him and all 400 other prophets. The other 400 prophets can lie through their teeth because they're not speaking on behalf of God. They're speaking on behalf of themselves and to their benefit. The guy with the iron horns running around, he's not getting that from God. He's doing that to advance himself. It's about pleasing the people or being a people pleaser. You know, I, I, there is positive, encouraging things to say when, it's, when God wants to say them. And there are times when it's, that's not what God wants to say. It's not loving to say that to somebody. In, in, uh, in some cultures, and we've talked about this before, so forgive me if you've heard this story before. I know I repeat myself, but... There are places where if you go to the doctor in these cultures, the doctor, when they find cancer, the patient will actually tell the family about it, but won't tell the patient about it because they don't want them to have those negative thoughts or those have the rest of their life in that negativity. They'll just tell them they're fine, but everybody else knows what's going on so that they can die in ignorance, but gleeful, blissful ignorance. You know, you don't really want to know the truth. Aren't you glad you live where you live, you know, where someone's going to place that? Hey, we did a biopsy, and some of our doctors don't have great bedside manners, but that's okay. I want them to tell me it uh, says something like malignant. looks like you're in big trouble. Okay. I mean, I would rather know that. I want to know the truth. Not, uh, I think it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Is it? Yes, go home, have some ice cream, enjoy yourself. Should I exercise or do anything? You don't need to worry about that anymore. (laughs) You know? Oh. I want the truth, because that's loving. I'm going to tell you what God tells me to tell you. And he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Same question I asked everybody else. And he said, go and prosper and they shall be delivered into your hand. Now remember, I'm not trying to get out of this, but there's two kings sitting there. He didn't say hands. They're going to be delivered into your hand. Maybe he's not looking anybody in the eye, but one of you is going to come back alive. Not going to say who. But go and prosper. Now the King Ahab suspects something, and so he says, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? I don't believe you. You never have anything good to say about me. What is the truth? Swear. 
So the prophet says, here's what I saw. I saw all Israel scatter on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. In other words, you're telling the king, you're not really a king. You're a worthless shepherd. And God doesn't consider you a leader. And you're probably not going to make it home from the battlefield, but everybody else will. And the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Now, Micaiah goes on to give us a beautiful picture into something we only get in a few places in Scripture. And this is the other conversation that's happening spiritually in heaven. See, sometimes we just forget the whole fact that there's a spiritual warfare going on above us and around us all the time, and we assume whatever we're seeing is all that's happening, and that's not the case. Not all the time are there two conversations going. I'm sure God doesn't care what kind of soda I pick at Casey's. I'm sure that's not a topic up there. But there are moments like this that we see where there is a conversation going on. And this is an interesting one. We're going to have to unpack this, so... I'll read all the way through it, but we'll come back. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. That's a lot. That gives us really good insight into the Lord and his character and his personality. Now, did God just really say, I need someone to go lie for me? Kind of. I need to let Ahab go do what Ahab wants to do. He's inquiring of these prophets. Is anybody going to go down and tell him what he wants to hear? So that he does go up and he does die. Apparently God's done with him now. I'm just done with this guy. I'm ready for the next guy to step into his position. I'm just, I can't handle this Ahab anymore. I'm ready for him to go into this battle and die. Will anybody go in and deceive him? And apparently there's a bunch of people in heaven saying, I'll do it. I got an idea. This is interesting, isn't it? It's like, oh, you didn't get this coloring page in Sunday school, did you? You know? (laughs) It's so good, though. I love passages like this because I know my God. I know who he is. I know he's love. I know he's patient, kind, gracious, merciful. I know his character in all other aspects. So when I read this, I'm like, hmm, I don't want to explain it away or wish it away or anything. Let's go to the text. I don't want you to believe J.D. Dirks from Calvary Chapel because who cares what I think? Here's what his word says. It's in Job chapter 1. It's another conversation that goes on in heaven. The first five verses of chapter one describe Job and how he's a great guy and he loves the Lord and he always serves the Lord and has his family over for a lot of meals. But he's always praying for his kids because he doesn't know if they're going to sin against God or not. And then we pick up the story in heaven. And he says this, verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. 
and Satan also came among them in heaven. He's there. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered, and the, uh, answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Now in other parts of scripture it says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. So we can assume that's what he was doing, just not mentioning it to God right now. And so the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. Why don't you see what you can do with him? Volunteers him. I've already prayed, no thanks, God. Keep me out of those conversations altogether. I mean, do what you want to do, of course, but don't mention me. So Satan answered the Lord, and he said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out his hand, stretch out uh, your hand and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Mouthy little angel, isn't he? You know, you think he loves you for no reason. You've given him everything. Nobody can touch him. I walked around his perimeter several times. There's no way in. You take away that perimeter. He'll curse you. The only reason he loves you is because you give him stuff. Bold. God's like, I don't think so. I don't think so. He says, but now stretch out your hand, he'll surely curse you. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. You can't kill him. So Satan went out from his presence, went out for the presence of the Lord. And if you don't know the rest of the story, he takes out all of his kids one by one, leaves him with a wonderful, contentious wife, not a ministry of encouragement. She wasn't. Touches his health, and he never curses God. Now, there's some problems throughout the book, and the last two chapters are really telling about what the whole thing was all about, and it's, it's good. Good to read the whole thing. The middle part's really a, a jumbled mess of bad advice from his friends that are around him and all that, but the last few chapters are very, very interesting. You know, really gives you God's heart as he speaks. The point is that there are moments when Satan appears before the Lord and God uses Satan to bring about his purposes. Because in the end of the book of Job, he tells Job in his failed health state that he's in, covered with boils, miserable, all of his family's dead, except for his wife. He tells him, stand up. No coddling, no, it's going to be all right, buddy. Stand up. And he lets him have it, you know, kind of thing. In a good way, like a son, you know, look, you said some things and you did some things and here, lets him know. Still his kid, still loves him. But Satan was used to bring about in Job an area that hadn't been touched, a growth for Job. Likewise, Satan gets used sometimes. And for us to know this is very important. God, when God calls the sons of God up to him, meaning the angels, the created beings, he shows up those meetings. He's under, it's never, and maybe some people have, it's not God versus Satan. That's never like that. This is God. And Satan's this tiny little thing running around. He's nothing. He's mouthy. We know that he's in charge of a third of the angels. We'll read that here in a minute from Revelation 12. We believe 
Michael is in charge of a third, Gabriel's in charge of a third, and that Lucifer at the time, Satan, is in charge of a third. And he leads a third of them out of heaven to, be rebe- to rebel against God. And here's the passage, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. We get some insight. This is in the middle of the great tribulation period. It says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. So you get the picture of what I just shared with you. It's scripture. It's not my opinion. And they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So in other words, Michael beat Satan and his gang. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. At one point it says that he drew with his tail a third of the stars. That's where we get a third from. May or may not be right, but we, we think that's what that means. Okay. Now, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. And here's the port. This is the reason I'm reading it right here. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. That's what he's doing up there. He's our accuser. Jesus is our advocate. So whenever Satan says, uh, Dale, what a miserable, rotten sinner. Morning, Dale. You know, he did this, that, or the other thing. I saw him. Nobody else saw him. Did you see that? Jesus is his advocate and says, yeah, but I paid for all of Dale's sins at the cross. You see? So he's the accuser of the brethren. He's accusing Job of being a mercenary. You only love God because God pays you. If God took your health, if he took your wealth, you'd curse him to his face. That's the accusation there. That's a whole other Bible study in and of itself. We want to make sure that we don't fall into that category. Some people worship God for health. Some people worship God for money, for help out of their problems. And when he doesn't do the things, when they rub the lamp and ask God like a genie to do for them, they walk away from him and they don't worship him anymore because he's not fulfilling his responsibilities of my God, genie, I mean God. We have to be careful about that. Now, Job is going to love God because God's worthy of his love and worship and adoration because of who he is, because of his character, because he's perfect, because he loves me with an everlasting love. Health, eh. Money, eh. I mean, that's tough. That's hard to go through. But the accusation is that Job would renounce the Lord, and he doesn't, by the way. Later on in verse 11, same book in Revelation, Revelation 12, Verse 11, next verse down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. That's how we overcome Satan. That's how we are not mercenaries. We're not in it for that. We have a hedge of protection ourselves. It's the blood of Christ. He protects us. He's the one that keeps us from death. He's the one that has taken away all of our sins. Now, okay, all that, like I said, that's a whole other Bible study. Come back to Second Chronicles. What is happening here? Is there anybody who will serve my purpose? And remember who is standing before him, all these angels, some good, some bad, who will get this Ahab to go up. And one guy says, I'll do it. How are you going to do it? I'm going to do this. Go do it. It's all right. So we have scripture to understand what's happening here. God doesn't have a, he, he, Ahab's done. God's done with Ahab. And so this is, now here's the, now let's step back and look at the forest. Ahab now has all the information. It's not like he's duped into going. 
His 400 guys have been exposed as false prophets by the true prophet. God said he sent a lying spirit to these guys. In other words, they're all lying. The only one here telling you the truth is me. I'm the one that had the vision and saw all this stuff take place. Ahab has a choice. What would you do if God said, now, I know you've had a lot of advice. and They've all told you to do that. But the true advice is this, don't. Well, you wouldn't, right? I mean, none of us are stupid. You'd be like, well, okay, well, I'm not going to follow the false prophets then. What does Ahab do? I think I'm going to follow the false prophets. I mean, I mean, how do you feel sorry for somebody like that? You know, I just told you they're all lying to you and you're not going to make it out of this life. I think I will. <laughs> okay. Right after he's done saying all this, the true prophet, Zedekiah, Iron horn dude, the son of Shana, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go for me uh, to speak to you? Pretty mouthy for a false prophet. Micaiah looks at him and says, Indeed, you shall see on the day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. Shouldn't have done that, man. I don't know, but I get these guys. I just do. Sometimes I think my character is so far away from God that I just, oh, God, help me. I just know that I'm in the flesh. I know that I'm, a, I don't know. If these guys aren't in the flesh and this is an actual conversation, I can kind of get along with this Micaiah guy, you know? He's going to get worse. He's doubling down on this. The king of Israel, Ahab, says, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city of Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and the water of affliction until I return in peace. Hold him hostage. And if I don't return in peace, then torture him till the day he dies kind of thing. Now, if you're Micaiah, that'd be hard to hear if you're the prophet. Look what he says. I love this. Micaiah, I said, if I return, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. Doubles down on it. If this guy comes back alive, then I'm a false prophet. Out. You know? Wow. And the messenger's shaking his head saying, I knew you should have just said something encouraging. Well, I tried. I told him he was going to be fine if he went, or one of the kings was going to be fine anyway. Now, what we don't see here is Jehoshaphat sitting here watching this whole thing go down. <laughs> can you make a meme out of this in your mind right now? You can just see this guy going... I don't want to go anymore to the battle, you know, <laughs> this poor guy. Oh, I can't believe he's my in-law. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel says to Jehoshaphat, this is Ahab, says to Jehoshaphat, I'll disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. This is funny to me. I'm not going to look like a king. You're going to look like a king. It'll be fine. You know? And Jehoshaphat's like, okay. Okay. And he does it. Yeah, you go ahead and look like everybody else. Because everybody's gunning for the king in the battle. Everybody wants to kill the king. You, kill the, you cut the head off, you, you kill the snake. You know? I'm going to disguise myself, but you should wear your robes. Okay. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Now the king of Syria 
That's the guy they're fighting. Had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, saying, just like what we thought, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. And so it was. When the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat in full regalia, that they said, it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord, we assume, and the Lord helped him. And God diverted them from him. For so it was when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, it's not Ahab, that they turned back from pursuing him. It's encouraging to me. You know, I shouldn't be in the battle. I shouldn't have said I'd go. I shouldn't be wearing what I'm wearing. I mean, there's a lot of shouldn'ts. And yet I cried out to God and God helped me. You know, God is faithful. Now, God's got some words for him at the end of this chapter, actually the beginning of the next chapter. But for, for now, take that to the bank. God's got us in our mistakes too. Now, I think we need to avoid getting ourselves into those problems, into those areas, of course. But for, know that when I do something and I thought I heard from the Lord and I think I'm doing the right thing, there is a lot of grace and mercy from our Father. You know? And to cry out for him, oh, God, I blew it. I made a tremendous mistake. Get me out of this. All right. Verse 33. Now, a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Now, if you know anything about God, there's nothing really random about any of this. You know, I just, who's this guy? You know, boom, I got the king. That was great. You know, wow. <laughs> no, no, nothing random about it. Think about Ruth. Remember Ruth happened to find herself in the fields of Boaz. Just happened to be in Boaz's field. If you don't know the story, read it. It's beautiful. Boaz happened to be there that day and spot her gleaning. You know, you got Esther. For such a time as this, she was born to serve. Just happened to be born. So keep that in mind as you wonder why you're born now at this time and all. You know, you're born for this moment right now. There was no other time in history for you to be born. This is the time you were born to do what you were called to do by God. You know, so be ready for that. It's exciting. Uh, missions are right out there in front of us. Do it. So he shoots him. Now, the companion story to this is in 1 Kings 22. Uh, don't turn there. Read that on your own. But that chapter covers this moment right now. 1 Kings 22, if you want to read more detail from Ahab's point of view. He's dying in the chariot. Um, they turned, he said, turn me around. Uh, that I might uh, me, uh, turn me out of the battle, for I am wounded. Uh, the battle increased that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Syrians until evening. At about that time of the sunset, he died. Okay, just what the prophet said would happen. Does not make it home. Now, just the first few verses of 19, and then we'll close because I think we need it for context. Okay. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely. Remember, the prophet always said, You're going to win. You're going to, uh, the king is going to return safely. Well, he does. He just didn't say which king. Okay. Return safely to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him. He's a prophet. Hanani, his dad, okay, Jehu, the prophet, his dad, Hanani, was a prophet also who spoke to Asa, which was Jehoshaphat's dad. So it's a generational thing here. Anyway, Jehu's been sent by God to speak to this King Jehoshaphat. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you, in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared, the heart, prepared your heart to seek God. Now, it's a spanking, it's a rebuke, but it's in love. 
You know, should you be out here? No. Should you have been with this guy? No. But God doesn't only see your mistakes. He also sees that you prepared your heart to seek him. He also sees um, that you've cut down the wooden images. I mean, you've done a lot of great things too. And I see that. I see that. He understands the heart of the matter. And I wanted to leave that, that with you. So you had that encouragement that we do what we, we really want to do. Now, if we take anything away from this and we'll wrap it up. Man, pray first. Seek the Lord first. Let's not say yes and then say, let's pray about this. You know, let's pray about it first and then say yes or no. You know, you save yourself this whole situation. Ahab would have gone up on his own. Ahab would have died on his own. Ahab would have done what he's doing. It would have had 400 guys telling him you're going to be fine. Jehoshaphat just didn't need to be with him. He wouldn't have been in that position where he had to cry out to God to help him get out of that. Sometimes avoiding God helps us avoid things. There are plenty of trials and tribulations for us to find ourselves in that God has designed for us to go through. I don't need to help him out by finding more is the idea. It's okay to avoid those things, you know, and that's where we close today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter, the encouragement, your love for Jehoshaphat. And certainly you've encouraged us in the New Testament that you have that same love and heart for us. You know that we're being conformed into your image. Help us know that too that you are patiently working out our salvation, that you are bringing us into closer and closer to who you are, more and more holiness. And so, Lord, when we blow it, we acknowledge it, and we're sorry, and we ask for forgiveness. But we also know that we have love and grace waiting for us when we do confess these things to you. So, Lord, help us to keep going on and walking with you and being who you've called us to be. We'll cut down some more wooden images, and, and, and we'll prepare our hearts to seek you even more. Um, and when we make mistakes, thank you that when we cry out, you help us. And that is encouraging. We thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.